Welcome to our podcast, Coffee Science for Coffeepreneurs. I'm Ida Steen, and I will talk about sensory methodology and education. I'm Morten Münchow, and I'll talk about coffee roasting. Welcome to this Coffee Mind podcast with Christina. This is a long-anticipated uh, podcast episode, or at least uh, as a process, because, um, yeah, Christina and I, we met, I, I'm not sure if it's seven or eight years ago, but it's something, something like, like that. that, yeah, because I get I got some uh, funding uh, for a, a, a very small research project, um, so small that I was told that normally if, if people didn't know each other uh, already, then you simply didn't want to spend the time. <laughs> so that was a good thing that we had Mark uh, as a common friend who kind of convinced you that it might be yeah, worth uh, spending time spend on. My time on yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So would you mind to uh, uh, tell uh, the listeners uh, who you are? Because that's yeah. completely different yeah, from yeah. what we normally do in yeah. Coffee Mind. Yeah. So right now I'm associate professor and head of a research team at the Technical University of Denmark. But back then, yeah. <laughs> seven years ago or so, I was assistant professor at the Copenhagen Business School. And our common friend Mark was my former PhD supervisor. So I remember that we met at CBS and we had some very creative sessions <laughs> where we tried to build a questionnaire together with some of my students. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the deal was that the the uh, the funds were spent on your time and some student time. So Coffee Mind got some of uh, your students employed mm -hmm. to do some 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 mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Um, and uh, originally the work was around uh, business models. We were kind of exploring. I remember we actually did a presentation at uh, in Gothenburg in 2015 mm -hmm. with some of those results. Mm -hmm. They did some interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, but essentially, we, what we wanted to to find out was um, uh, the dynamics of bis business models of mm. roasteries. Mm. Um, but uh, I think the listeners need to know a bit more. Uh, and and uh, so my my impression of of uh, um, of um, uh, uh, CBS that particular department called Innov innovation innovation and, and organizational economics exactly yeah. Which doesn't really tell you anything about <laughs> what's going on, because it's it's uh, you would think I, I that was my expectation that mm -hmm. there was a lot of kind of management going on. Mm -hmm. What do you know if you don't know anything about a, a, mm -hmm. a business school? But it was really hardcore economics. Yeah. It was the full. I mean, I spent some time at at food science, mm -hmm. and I knew about all this statistical software, uh, uh, univariate and multivariate statistics, and all that. And it it's exactly the same methods mm -hmm. uh, used. So it's really heavy on handling big databases, yeah. which is a really difficult handcraft. Yeah. Uh, really difficult. <laughs> um, so um, I was I was quite kind of, quite surprised how much math and uh, mm. statistics was involved. Mm. But then there was also this track of uh, social sciences mm. going on at the same time, and it was really difficult. I actually had a small project in that. It was so difficult for me to. Not only have the, the the data part of it, but actually when you re formulate a research question, you need to know all the research already done. You cannot really use common sense because you never know what kind of concept has always been used to 
al already been used to explore this uh, uh, subject. So you would have to have a really uh, thorough insight into um, uh, uh, what has been published already. Yeah, we call it that you have to identify your research gap. Meaning yeah. that you are building on the research of those who have investigated whatever phenomenon you're investigating before you. Yeah. And you're contributing to their shared body of work. So either you're challenging some of the already existing findings or you are qualifying them or extending them. But yeah. it's, yeah. which is the same in natural sciences, yeah. but, but here it's just uh, not so logical what has already been no. done. So you really need to read a lot. And, and which is relevant for our particular uh, project here because our project is actually really, because the, the questionnaire that you said we did in the beginning was really vast. So it, it, it involved um, uh, Alexander Osterwalder's um, uh, business model canvas where I brainstormed all the... Is it seven elements or nine? I actually yeah, forgotten. It's nine elements. I think okay. we, we combine forces, right, with your knowledge of the coffee roasteries, yeah. and our knowledge of business models and the underlying theories. And then we try to figure out how can you ask these roasteries in a meaningful way that makes sense for their day-to-day -day practice about something that refers back to the business model canvas yeah. and identify what is their business model. And that was a huge task because, as you say, there are nine elements to the business model canvas. Yeah. And to illustrate their business model choices within of these elements, we had to have quite a lot of questions. A lot of questions per element. Yeah. A lot of questions per element. So it was quite a big... <laughs> yeah, and, and many questions with multiple options. So yeah. how do you do this specific thing? Do you do it like this, like this, like this, like this? It was a very long questionnaire with many options. Yeah, because first, there's the structure of the, the, the questionnaire was that first we ask them, uh, we ask them to think back about a pivot, a big mm. change in the business mm. model. And then we ask them to map out for all the nine elements, mm. what was the business model before the pivot yeah. and what was the business model after yeah. the pivot? What did you start doing and stop doing in yeah. all of the elements? Yeah. And then quantify what do you uh, what's the what was the effect on the pivot and what, there was a lot and then there was a last part as well with with uh, with we had some questions about risk um, risk aversions versus risk willingness uh, which I still think are very interesting because what we wanted to, to to do was to have sort of a baseline of these coffee roastery owners and managers risk willingness. Uh, yeah, and how that correlated with exactly. the way they pivoted yeah. and the effect of the pivot. Yeah. And and my whole point here is that 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 um, the only reason why we have a publication now mm. is that you are really skilled in, in the data <laughs> part of it and also uh, putting it into a context because I, I don't feel at all that the data set that I succeeded getting justifies what you are capable of if you just get a big enough data set because uh, you had to kind of skip uh, stratifying the way you, you couldn't just look at, at what was going on because it, the data set was too small to stratify the way that we had planned for so you had to kind of find another way which is uh, comparing smaller and bigger uh, which is great it was just not at all what was originally intended so and that's my point that you gathered all the relevant uh, kind of literature and, and found a new angle and kind of saved it. Mm. 
So it was just really great to see your uh, your skills and and uh, uh, your format uh, doing that, uh, and uh, and so uh, it's also just because I I feel that that uh, it's an amazing paper, but compared to what you're capable of doing and our original vision, we are not that no, at all yet. At so. All. I mean, but this is a classical issue, right? That we, we had all these ideas about what we would like to know, and we had this theoretical model about how different elements of a business model would work together. And then the reality was just that we couldn't get enough observations. Yeah. Right? We could translate it into a normal human language. Not enough companies replied to the survey. No, and I had a bottleneck because I, I assumed that the, the Specialty Coffee Association, mm -hmm. us having done all the work, that they should just distribute the, the link to the survey. Uh, and I tried in different a lot of di uh, different attempts to, to kind of make them interested, but they didn't uh, respond or wasn't uh, willing at all. So that was a bit of a, a disappointment. And then in the end, we were left with the companies that you had in your personal yeah, it's basically, And that's, of course, a, a lot fewer than those that are in the professional association. Yeah, it was, uh, was it 600 of my students from London School of Coffee we ended uh, sending out and, and we had a response rate of 15% or something like that. 15%, yeah, 150% yeah. something. And then, of course, some of them don't fill in the questionnaire correctly and then we end up with having 99 companies, which is not enough to <laughs> no. do all of these quite complex analysis that we wanted to do and we still want to do. Yeah. We just need a better data set. Yeah, so we... <laughs> we've been uh, since it's this is seven eight years ago we, we we've been speaking once every year or every two years and how uh, and then we just decided a year ago now we'll just and this is where you kind of completely re uh, looked at the data because we decided now we'll just get it out yeah. we'll whatever there's uh, <laughs> we look at it and we see what is possible right because this super complex theoretical framework we cannot investigate with 99 companies but what can we do then yeah and yeah and then our hope is yeah. that this is bait mm. for somebody who thinks it's interesting mm. and will support us getting more data mm. that 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 was the idea so yeah. uh, it's a good thing that we uh, got anything out at all and and again if you haven't um, uh, read the paper i'll highly highly recommend it because mm. the framing you've done for the whole thing is is really amazing uh, for for people and relevant for people uh, the balance between uh, uh, profit and passion is really something that everybody can relate to and also the whole thing about uh, you have to do everything in the beginning and, and uh, at some point when you grow, what kind of, how do you organize? And mm. perhaps, perhaps uh, could you say something yeah. about the, the, the findings? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so um, I think actually now I'm regretting, we called the paper Creativity and, Cur and Commerce, but I think actually profits and passion could also have worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that true. Be title. We use that the next time. That we yeah. needed to save the good title for the big paper. <laughs> the big paper, yes. Uh, so what we find essentially, essentially we are looking at how firms' strategic orientation influence their profitability. Or not directly their profitability because we couldn't get profit data. That's too, that's too personal information to ask for. Yeah. We couldn't really trust it. But we got that data on revenue. And then we're saying, okay, revenue is a precondition for having a profit. If you don't have revenue, you don't have a profit. So yeah. we're looking at how firms' strategic orientation towards either creativity or passion or profits and commercialization at different parts of their firm life influence the opportunities to create revenue. Yeah. 
and and this is this is uh, this is where it's so interesting to see how you work from a method perspective, and and this is something that we could learn of in in the specialty coffee business in general, uh, which is how will we measure the effect that we are looking for? How will we measure the relevant effect? And this is where the whole specialty coffee business is so confused because the way you should really measure the effect of anything in 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 coffee is how does it taste. But there's a huge confusion on exactly that point because there's so many not very specific and useful methods out there for measuring sensory flavor with the uh, uh, Specialty Coffee Association's uh, way of, of advising people to evaluate coffee. It's a big confusion if you see it from a scientific point of view because it needs to be much more specific and not... as Uh, and simple rather than vague and complex, which is the wrong direction to take a sensory uh, protocol. So what I'm trying to, to say is just the method. It's interesting to see when you work with the proper science, you, 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 you don't do anything before you found a simple and specific way of measure the effect connected to the research question, right? Yeah. And, and for you, it's just, you know, that's how we do it. But for uh, for a lot of people, there's a it's a big source of confusion not to have that way of thinking. Yeah, so basically, I mean, we would ideally like to know a lot of things. Right? There are lots of things that I would love to know. And as you say, of course, coffee, coffee taste. Uh, that would be a great output measure. But we just can't capture that with a survey. Yeah. Right. Because if we ask the coffee roasteries, does your coffee taste nice? They would, of course, say yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They should probably be doing something else. Yeah. Um, So, so the way we work in the social sciences is we say, okay, what would you actually like to know something about? What has prior literature said something about? Then we have a construct. In this case, it would be profitability. And then we say, okay, maybe we cannot observe that directly, but we can at least know the revenue. Okay, then we use revenue as what we call a proxy for whether yeah. the company is doing well or not. But it's simple and specific, yeah. right? Yeah. And we do the same on the other side of the equation with what we call the independent variables, the strategic orientation, where we're basically saying, is the company oriented towards creativity or passion, or is it oriented towards profitability and commercialization? And we're, we're thinking, okay, what does the prior literature say about this? And in the prior literature, there are two streams that we use. One is about, so how do they uh, strategically compete in the market? Do they compete based on quality, the quality of the product, or do they try to compete based on price? What is the primary competitive strategy they're using? And then we ask them about that. And that's very precise, and they can answer that. Yeah. So the owner or the manager of coffee grocery can answer that, and we can trust their answer. Right? If they are competing based on price, that's nothing to be ashamed of, and then they will answer, we compete based on price. Yeah. And then we take that as an as an indication that if you compete based on price, then you're oriented towards profitability. If you're then saying, I'm competing primarily based on quality, I want to have the best quality in the market, then we're saying, okay, then it's creativity and passion that's driving your strategic orientation. And that's one aspect of the strategic orientation. The other aspect is another crucial resource, which is how does the owner use his or her time? The owner's time is limited, and that's a very scarce resource in most small and medium-sized enterprises. So what does the owner choose to do on an everyday basis? 
Does the owner choose to roast the coffee beans him or herself? Is the owner actively engaged in the roasting process? Or has the owner hired someone to do the roasting and then focus, dedicate his or her time to the business aspects of the business? And then we also take that as an indicator of the company's strategic orientation. If, yeah. if the owner of the roastery chooses to be in the production to be in actively involved in the roasting process on a daily basis, then we are saying, okay, this is a company focused on passion, on creativity, the passion for good coffee. If the co- if company's owner have chosen to dedicate his or her time to the business aspects, then we say, okay, this is a company that has a more commercial strategic organization. Yeah. That we can also ask them about. Yeah. Right? Do you, as the owner, manager of the company, actively engage in the roasting process? That's a very clear question. We can ask about it, and then we can use it as an indica- indicator of the company's strategic organization. Yeah. And this is this is something that can change over time, right? Yeah, we see that it changes exactly, over time. Exactly, yeah. And also what we most importantly see, maybe it doesn't change over time in some companies, but what we do see is that the companies with the highest success are those that when they are young, they focus on the creativity and the passion. The owner is roasting him or herself. Uh, the competition, the main competitive uh, criteria is quality, the quality of the product. And then as they get a little bit older, not much, actually just five, six, seven years older, they change their focus and the owner withdraws from the actual roasting business and starts focusing on the business aspects. And the competition is more founded on price. Of course, they're not competing with mainstream supermarket brands, right? But they are getting more and more focused on how can we set our prices to compete in the field of specialty coffee. And this is where it's so fascinating to have this uh, mix of, of quantitative data and mm-hmm. the interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and that, of course, also... Um, Uh, there are some aspects of the kind of what so what's what's the conclusion here the conclusion is not that after six years you have to completely give up your passion right (laughs) (laughs) that's not the conclusion no but the conclusion could it be like it's a good idea to rethink your role in the business (laughs) i think the conclusion is that 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 owners and managers in creative industries in general especially food and and beverages and in the coffee industry should reconsider, as you say. After, when the company is established, once they have established themselves in a market niche, they should reconsider, am I spending my time in the right way? Should I start competing in a different way? Is it time to branch out of my niche that I have established myself in? I think actually one of the interesting findings in our model that we did not expect is that we can see that there is also a survival bias, meaning that those firms that are five, six, seven years or older, they were super focused on creativity and passion when they just started out. Oh, yeah. So if you manage to do this transition from the passion, the creativity to the more commercial strategic orientation, you are more likely to survive and you are more likely to be a successful business in the long run. Yeah. Is there anything more you remember from the from the paper? Because I think this is this is more or less what I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one, one, one aspect that we, we are discussing in the paper in the very end, this is not our research, but this is where we connect to some other examples. This is how on earth do you do this division 
in a small coffee roaster. How do you ensure that you still have high quality, high passion when the owner is pulling back and focusing more on the business aspects? So how do you manage to have this ambidextrous focus on both passion, creativity on one hand and commercialization and profit on the other hand? And we discussed two different options that we can see in prior literature. And one is from a very large company, BMW, who have deliberately tried to isolate their design unit to to isolate them from all considerations of practicality and profit to ensure that they come up with the most creative solutions. So this is one solution. And I know, of course, a small corporate grocery cannot copy the strategy of BMW. That's not possible. But the idea that you may want to isolate the creative talent of your business a little bit from practical concerns and allow them to develop ideas and test stuff before you start confronting them with the economic realities yeah. of the ideas, that's a pretty good idea. Of yeah. course, sometimes they will come up with something that's simply not economically feasible. But maybe if just one out of ten times they come up with something that's super creative, super innovative, but also economically viable, then it's actually a good strategy. So yeah. that, that's one one solution, right? To make this divide in the organization and allow the creative forces to to work. And that was also in El Bulli, right? They, they yeah, did they, the they same. Had, they, had a different, uh, they had a different strategy, actually, because this is this is like more of an organizational divide. El Bulli had a more temporal uh, divide mm. where they were trying to, to, to interchange between different phases to go into a phase of production and then a phase of reflection. Again, it's not super simple for small business no. to say oh now we just leave the profit for now and go into a creative mode uh, but to some extent you can copy this by saying okay maybe one afternoon a week we we play we experiment we try out new things and we use our equipment to test yeah but um, they they also had a, a physical yeah a separation a physical right separation. it was That's a different true. place they right also had a physical separation yeah. at one point That's true. And and, and this physical separation, organizational uh, separation, or temporal separation are three different ways of separating the creative process from the economic realities. And even though small companies cannot do this to the same extent as large successful companies, you can still do small things. But that that was one of the things that was really great for me in this process, that you selected the most interesting papers of the yeah. topic so that I could read yeah. them. Yeah. And I, uh, was it Sarah Svati? Uh, it should Silvia be. Oh, yeah. That's an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but that's, that's yeah, actually the in the, yeah, that's the, the literacy list. Papers, right? Svea Nova, yeah. right, 2005. Yeah. Yeah. And Sylvia, she looks at El, El Bulli and has uh, researched intensively um, the high level haute couture of, of, uh, of restaurants. But I just want to remind that the, the, the references in, in, yeah. in this is actually really interesting mm-hmm. articles in themselves that I enjoyed you finding. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there was another, uh, for, for, for particularly for entrepreneurs, there was mm-hmm. an interesting uh, point in the El Bulli story where where they they talk about the whole process and then there's uh, where they talk about the different phases and how they kind of made a model that's where they survived and had this um yeah production and creativity that they there was a kind of just a, a remark that the, the first 17 years they were really hard 
was just a, oh, I can recognize this as yeah. an entrepreneur. The first 17 years is really hard, right? So you have to be patient. Yeah. You have to be patient, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of this uh, instant success stories out there, but most uh, successful businesses, you'll see that it was definitely not instant. Uh, which is a nice reminder once in a while. So it was great to read that in the paper. I was, yeah, 17 years. I've been in the 16 years. <laughs> Next year. Next year. <laughs> But I think also what I liked about doing this paper was it was kind of, for me, a return to a field that I did my PhD in. I did my PhD mm. in the film industry, in another ah, creative industry. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of the dynamics that we looked at and that the literature of high-end culinary experiences look at same it is this this tension between passion and creativity and still making a living yeah right? and i think this is a super interesting field and it's highly relevant to other businesses as well yeah even though they have a higher focus on the commercial side they still also need to ignite this passion in their employees to make the most uh, of their business yeah so i think balance this balancing act as it has been called in prior literature of balancing Creativity in commerce is is highly relevant. It's and it's so universal because, and it's because I I guess and that's also what I mentioned with the conclusion is not that you after six years you need to drop your passion because I think you need always both in a sense because the profit you need to kind of survive, but the passion you need for having meaning because you can also get the other opposite where you're just too focused on profit. And after some years, you just yeah. find out that this is an empty life, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you kind of it's it's not an either or, but it's it's different balances, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, and as an owner manager, if you really do not want to leave behind the creative and the creativity and passion of being actively involved, it's sometimes a very good idea instead of hiring a partner, uh, hiring a manager, partnering with someone. Because you need someone who loves the business as much as you do. Yeah, yeah. Just have different skill sets. Yeah, and you can also see this is this is the case for most of the very successful um, creative businesses that they have this combination of a creative force. Yeah, and someone takes care of the business. Aspects. It's funny because there's a lot of uh, yeah Danish roasters that 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 pops into my mind mm-hmm. uh, that where it's kind of a a group of people mm-hmm. so. Contra, for example, yeah. uh, was five people starting yeah. the business, right, uh, with different roles. Uh, Coffee Collective as well mm. is four people starting it, really good at, at, mm. at separating mm. uh, tasks and have been really good at mm. reorganizing themselves mm. uh, in different phases. And this morning I also spoke to uh, Rolo, um Jonas, and, and he also, we actually talked about this and he really stressed that if he didn't have his uh, partner doing the, the the whole the commercial part of it mm. he he couldn't see it working mm. uh, and also la capra where we met this morning yeah. they've been they've been uh, partners mm. uh, it's 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 not individuals doing mm. this and that's that's uh that that i, I really recognize what yeah. you're saying here yeah. even in the danish uh, but I, i do still think that our our findings illustrate that even if you have a commercial partner taking care of the business aspects If you are the creative force, you probably should remove yourself a little bit from the day-to-day operation and then yeah. start thinking more strategically about yeah. how to engage this creativity. 
I've been working enough in a roastery yeah. to know that there's a lot of practical work. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, that's easily uh, something you can delegate. So yeah. it, it really makes sense to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. I think I think that's pretty much yeah. rounding up the history yeah. of the project yeah. and the results and the, um, the perspectives on it. So, yeah, I just wanted to... Thank you for your patience and uh, <laughs> keep on going. That's very entrepreneurial. <laughs> yeah, that so, research is not that different from entrepreneurship. No, it isn't. It a isn't. A lot of patience. Yeah, and a lot, and you have to keep on going, and, and because risk. nobody helps yeah. you, right? You need yeah. to to uh, for sure that I've seen that in. Yeah, you have to have a kind of internal brand and really yeah. make sure yeah. to have a reputation. It's so yeah, so it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that's a good thing that you, that you had that. Yeah. So we can sit here with a, yeah. a final publication. Yeah, I think uh, now I reread it this morning. And, and as we talked about before we started, I think we did pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting still. And I think it's relevant. <laughs> it's highly relevant. To, to coffee roasteries, of course, but also to, to more than coffee roasteries. For sure. Yeah. Because it's such a universal yeah. Thing that you need yeah. to survive to have the profit and have the passion to to have meaning right yeah. so it's uh, yeah definitely great yeah. thank you very much you're welcome <laughs> thank you thank you for taking your time to listen to what we've created for you if you want to implement some of our thoughts in your business please go to our website coffee-mind.com where we are all set up for helping you as fast, affordable and easy as possible through our automated e-learning courses starting as low as 30 euros as well as our live virtual education programs and of course also our on-site courses here in Denmark and with our partner venues around the world where we will appear frequently. Use the filter bar on the front page of our website to find your learning experience of preference. Hope to see you soon.